Hey guys and girls, welcome back to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and in today's episode, this is a roundtable special where we are looking at the big challenge across the sector, which has been talent attraction, talent engagement, and talent retention. And I have three exceptional experts here today to help me navigate this subject and hopefully give you some fantastic takeaway tips. I have James Edgett, who is Chief People Officer at Signature Discovery, Andy Mears, who is CEO and co-founder at Lead Candidate, and Laura Childs, who is Head of Research and Strategy at Remarketing. So who are my guests today? Well, James has been in post for 12 months and joined to support the growth of the business into its next phase with the development of Signature's employee value proposition. He has over 20 years in the people and HR field. He comes with multi-sector experience from financial services, manufacturing, facilities management, and more recently from advertising and media sector with WPP, who, if you didn't know, are a huge global organization. Andrew Mears is the CEO and co-founder of Lead Fat Candidate, a specialist talent acquisition consultancy exclusively supporting the global pharma and bio outsourcing sector. He has more than two decades of experience working in human resources and talent, developing and delivering talent initiatives to help fast-growing companies achieve ambitious change and growth agendas. And on to Laura. Having built an impressive career as program director in some of the largest multinational CROs, delivering high-value and highly complex global clinical trials from phase one to phase three, Laura joined Remarketing as Head of Research and Strategy. In this role, Laura works closely with a team of senior marketing experts and sector specialists to conduct in-depth research projects to deliver data-driven brand and growth strategies for clients. So as you can see, three exceptional guests who all bring a completely different perspective, albeit around the same subject, which is why I wanted these three individuals on the interview. And so, um, as always, thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe and give us a kind rating wherever you hear the show. Enjoy today's episode. Andy, Laura and James, welcome to the show. And I suppose just to start off with, I'd love you all to just go around the table and give our listener a bit of an overview of who you are and what you do. So Laura, I'll start with you and then I'll pass to Andy and finish with yourself, James. Thanks, Roman. So my name is Laura Child. I've been in industry for 17 years now and head up research and strategy at Remarketing. I have a team of sector specialists and senior marketers, and we do in-depth research projects to build data-driven brand and marketing strategies for our clients. I'm Andy Mears. I'm CEO and co-founder of Lead Candidate. We are a, a talent acquisition consultancy business that operates exclusively in the pharma and bio outsourcing space. So we work across the world, but in that very focused niche to help organizations deliver their hiring objectives in support of their corporate growth strategies or change agendas. And last but certainly not least, James. Yeah, I'm James Edgar. I'm the Chief People Officer for Signature Discovery. Uh, we were a early stage drug discovery company um, based in Nottingham, but with sites across the Northwest in uh, Audley Edge, Macclesfield and Scotland, rapidly growing. We were awarded one of the fastest growing companies in the Times 100s list last year. Uh, I've been with the company for 13 months now. So yeah, really pleased to be here. 
It's pleased to have you all. So thanks, obviously, for making the time and being here. So I thought we'd start off with the problem. And the problem being that, you know, most conversations I've had with uh, guests or clients or contacts in the sector over the last two years have nine times out of 10 led to a conversation around talent and the challenge that businesses in our space are having with uh, both attracting and retaining talent. So Andy, let's start with you. I suppose given your experience in the sector and your broader experience generally in, in the talent industry, give us your thoughts on where this problem originates. And you know, at time of recording, we've just both come back from Bio as well in in Boston, which was a great show. So any any insights from that show would be would be greatly welcomed. Yeah, listen, it's a huge question. You're absolutely right. And as much as macroeconomic sort of factors have changed really recently, it still remains a, a critical priority for just about every business operating in the space. At a very simple level, life sciences employment between sort of 2006 up to 2021 there or thereabouts has grown by 131%. It's huge, huge growth. And that's just put pressure on demand. The the kind of compound annual growth rates the industry has seen just places demand on, on skill. So there's a very high demand. You've then got a problem, unfortunately, where the industry has suffered with STEM, science, technology, engineering, and, and maths in the younger generation just not being something that the younger generation want to pursue. So at the start of the kind of filter process, if you like, the start of the funnel at the at the younger end of the career spectrum, we've lost people or the amount of people coming through. And that's placed pressure on the sort of the growth of the industry. So there's kind of those two elements of demand and, and supply at both ends of the spectrum. And so what you then get is just this continuous churn of people, which impacts the retention factor, which we're going to talk about later on. And the supply dynamic, the demand dynamic is, has had lots of different effects, such as the inflating cost of skills and really putting a lot of pressure on businesses who are in that sort of high growth landscape and and perhaps young businesses and they can't afford to hire the talent that they need because of the inflationary impact of the amount of supply and demand dynamics. So I think it's a huge subject matter, but broadly speaking, that's the kind of the big issue that we have is that the demand and the supply just don't correlate. Yeah. And it's such a, I suppose, simplistic way of looking at it, but it ultimately leads to the perfect storm we've got around the lack of talent. So that makes a lot of sense to me. James, from your perspective, you know, working, as you said, their signature of one of the fastest growing companies in the UK, growing its global presence, you know, really exciting CRO business. How does it feel when you're on the inside trying to manage growth in terms of people in a fast growth company like that give us i suppose take us in the boardroom and you know what it's like being the person responsible for getting the right bodies and talent into your business to help support the growth yeah sure as andy talked about i think that disconnect between the supply and demand is something that we feel really quite acutely in our space we, you know and, and when you start almost segmenting down life sciences in terms of the employers as well you know you've got biotechs you've got cro's you've got big pharma so there's there's also really different offerings from each of those buckets, if you like. So, you know, as you said, we've kind of averaged almost 20% growth year on year in headcount point of view. So we've had to be very planful and think really about 
the ways that we go to market, we've developed lots of relationships with you know good universities, and we've we've actually spread that outside of the UK and become much more international in, in the approach that we've looked at. We've tried to do a bit of work around really starting to anticipate and forecast what new capabilities might be, so we can actually get ahead of the curve uh, and start building that into a more strategic approach to, to coming to market. And I think there's also a link about actually having really kind of focusing on the uh, candidate experience through all of this, because, you know, we're not complacent in the sense that we will be competing for, you know, what will be a relatively small group of people with a lot of other people fishing in that same pool. And so one thing that we're really keen to do is actually be very clear about our presence, but also make sure that presence is differentiated and it's experience that people want to come and join us. And so that's where I think brand becomes um, even more important in, in the times we're facing right now. Well, on that being ahead of the curve and the importance of the candidate experience is a beautiful segue. Thank you very much to bring in Laura. So Laura, let's let's move from now we've got an understanding of the problem and what that problem feels like, you know, for businesses like James. Talk us through how you've seen companies in the sector kind of evolve in the last few years in terms of how your work in terms of research and strategy and looking at the candidate experience and positioning companies as as a great employer have, have developed. You know, it's certainly something that I often associate with client experience and prospect experience, which we've done for many years. But, you know, talk us through some of the kind of more cutting edge solutions that you've seen in any examples without naming any client names, of course. Absolutely. I think it's important to uh, remember that employees are key stakeholders too, and a company cannot grow without the right talent. So it's absolutely critical to understand the perceptions of your internal stakeholders, even if that's sometimes difficult to hear. Ultimately, employees want to be heard. They want to see some level of action. So by speaking to internal stakeholders as independent interviewers, we typically gain very candid insights that go beyond marketing essentially providing a window into the business which can highlight operational and, and even business critical opportunities. One of the key questions we may ask during a project seeks to understand the employee's knowledge of the mission, the vision, the purpose of the, of the organization, and if they think others are aligned with them as well. So this speaks to the values and the behaviors which are absolutely critical for the culture. The responses to this can be really enlightening, I would say, and not always in a positive way. And whilst we talk about the employee value proposition and how important that is for a business, I would say exactly the same for a purpose as well. As human beings, we innately define ourselves by needing a sense of purpose. I'm sure everyone here today and the audience listening as well will be aware of Simon Sinek's golden circle theory, which dare I say it was a boggling 17 years ago now when he first brought it around. But Essentially, it states that we need to have a, a reason for existence. What's the reason why employees should care about the business and therefore why should the audience care as well? So if we put this purpose right at the center, it inspires the whole organization and then that goes from the inside out to the audience as well. Laura knows I'm a bit skeptical of Simon Sinek's work. I'm probably the only person on the planet. So I reckon Laura just mentioned that to wipe <laughs> me up. But... But Laura makes a really good point. And some of the phrases, Laura, just before I pass that Andy and get his take, if someone is listening to this podcast and thinking, what do you mean by employee you know, value proposition? And I suppose some of the language, what you talk day to day, break it down into what that actually means for an organization and how they think about this, just so our listener can kind of take that away and think about how they could then go and potentially build something like this within their own companies. 
Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about an, an employee value proposition, it's telling a candidate or an employee what's in it for them. It's, you know, everyone wants to know what's in it for, for them nowadays. As a population, we really sort of want to know what we get out of something. So that's when we're thinking about the employee value proposition. And then when we think about the purpose, it's giving them that reason to care. It really sits at the heart of it. What motivates them to get out and deliver their best every day? And one thing I would say is that many industries have a sense of purpose as part of the brand fundamentals for any business. But in life sciences, it's particularly important because many people are highly motivated by the work that they do in life sciences and the impact they have to the uh, advancement of medical therapeutics, et cetera. Well, thanks for that. And I, and I have to highlight the point that you ended with there. I think, you know, in 120 plus episodes that we've done on this podcast, I think that the one reoccurring theme of all the leaders and individuals that we've interviewed is exactly that point, that purpose piece around working in this sector. And it's not forgotten on anyone I've ever interviewed, which is, you know, our reason for doing this. Yes, it's to have a good career and make money and have sense of purpose generally, but also the kind of patient impact as well. So thanks for highlighting that. Andy, let's build on, I suppose, that theme of the solution and talk us through how you've seen recruitment services and talent acquisition service kind of interplay with some of the things that, that Laura's talked about. Because I suppose historically, when I look at it, you know, you had marketing companies doing marketing stuff, and then you had recruitment companies doing recruitment stuff. And then there's certainly been a convergence that I've seen in the last decade or so, but love your kind of take on how you, in the work you do in the plays with the type of things Laura talks about. It's really interesting because I think the whole talent acquisition process is a much more strategic partnership relationship led sort of dynamic and offering. Recruitment can unfortunately have a reputation for being very transactional, very reactive. And indeed, there are businesses that operate in our sectors that are very much like that. I think what we found is that there are always going to be businesses who kind of want, they want that, that what they're interested in is, you know, we need the skills, we need them in the business and we need them yesterday. So it's that stuff about experience and that stuff about, you know, making sure that the EVP's right and it's all great, but listen, I just need five microbiologists and I need them tomorrow. And they're under pressure. They're under pressure to do that, right? And it's, Unfortunately, when you know some of the stats I quoted earlier, they get lost in that. What we've certainly seen is is that the businesses that are faring better, and when I say fare better, I mean they're attracting the right people, they're engaging those people, they're hiring those people, but very importantly, they're retaining those people. When you talk about retention, if you look at an industry, some of the industry stats are pretty terrifying. You know, two in five new hires will leave within 18 months of starting in the business. If you've hired 100 people, what we're saying is that 40 of them are going to leave within two years. You can't grow a business when you're turning that many people over. It's not sustainable. That employee value proposition, that experience, they are so important. And I think it's really interesting that you pick up on the point that Laura made about, you know, we're working in an industry where we're, you know, we're improving patients' lives. We've got this real value proposition, but so does everybody else in this sector. And I have conversations with businesses now who operate in this space who say, well, who wouldn't want to come and work for us? We're helping save lives. To which my response is just, but so is everybody else in the sector. 
So you have to differentiate. You can't just rely on that as your EVP. It's got to be much more ingrained. And actually, the most common reason for turnover is actually lack of career development and lack of progression and opportunities to see how people can grow and evolve their careers, how they can be stimulated professionally, personally, and how they can grow as people. That's the top reason for people moving on. So I think the people who fare better are the ones who are considering these things and building strategies around it. Great perspective there, Andy. And I want you to hold that thought about retention because that's an area that we're going to cover later in the interview, but it's a fantastic point. And it leads me nicely on to, to you, James. And James, you, Andy you know, mentioned brand and the real life pressure of businesses when they have to recruit heavily in fast growth businesses. Love your perspective on some of the points that Laura and Andy have talked about in, in some of the interplay that you've seen between brand, which is something actually you mentioned right at the start, and the real life recruitment needs, the tactical recruitment needs of a business, you know, that is... I'm sure you hear every department screaming at you for more people. What, so I'd love to to just talk around that and in, in in what you kind of agree or disagree with anything Andy and Laura have said. Without trying to start saying statements from the bleeding obvious, you know, the, the business we're in is a people business and the quality of the scientists and the quality of the science is, is really the brand that is signature. And so, you know, I think sometimes we can forget the cost of making a wrong hire actually is really, really damaging. And so then it becomes... A real balancing act when you know we are under pressure to recruit to fuel our growth but also to make sure we recruit the right people in the right way so i was reflecting on what laura had mentioned around the evp i mean when i came in quite a simple kind of perspective on this so we definitely need to be much clearer about what we're offering to employees and what's our expectation back so that's our evp if you like that two-way relationship but we've also majored a lot on employee experience so it's one thing to say that you're going to do it but actually is that the felt experience employees then have and if there's a disconnect with that, actually that gets found out very, very quickly. And that disconnect actually ends up being your brand. So the approach we've taken is actually how do we start looking at what is different about Signature and how do we describe it and be much more explicit about it? And then what are the feedback mechanisms that we can have and start building and almost think about those journeys that people are going to go on so that we can start measuring it to know that actually what we're promising is what people are feeling. So we've started quite a lot of work in all of those bits. I mean, it's been a really busy kind of 13 months, but exciting because I think we have some real jewels. We've started to develop our own EVP centered on kind of four things around the quality of the science and the continual learning that people have. This idea that we want to build a high performance culture, but we need it to be sustainable. And I think that's really important, particularly in high growth markets. There's a danger you could burn people out and that's not really going to give you resilience in, in the trajectory that we want to get to. There's definitely something around the culture and values. And I think that is one of the things that's incredibly strong about Signature, which we're really proud of. And then the final bit is really the kind of reward benefits bit. And we do a lot in this space in terms of kind of trying to align our employees. We talk about employees being owners of the companies. We've done some work around actually offering out equity plans so that people will kind of sign up to. We've got great take up, but it all builds a picture of what it's like to be a Signature employee and how we then support thriving. Andy's right. It's very easy to kind of segment this topic into recruitment. Some of this is also about how you how you keep. And so as you grow, we can't lose sight of that ongoing development that we have for people. And, and rapid growth means actually there's lots of rapid development we need in, in the business as well. So again, we've started to look at how we think about career progression, how do we identify talent, how do we support that growth, and also test some of the theories and, and mindsets that we've had as a business that actually might 
hinder some of that growth as we go forward. We've got phenomenal scientists that head up our functions, but the experience they had maybe 20 years ago is not the experience of some of the scientists entering Signature now. And so how do we really tap into that? So again, we've done a lot around employee listings. So it's a really, really tricky field, but there's a lot to go at. And my philosophy is, as Laura said, you know, employees are a really important stakeholder. So we shouldn't really think about the business being too different from customers or employees. I actually think you could stick your thumb over those and actually have a lot of commonalities. You know, as we go to clients and say, why come to Signature? This is what we do. We have to do the same for employees. The way we actually regularly get client feedback, it's really important we get regular employee feedback. And there's times we don't always get it right, so we need to learn from it. But there is a commonality. We've done a lot of joint work with our marketing team to look at brands. We've called it 360 brands. So what's our external brand to clients, suppliers, the market? And how does that look from an internal point of view? And how do we join them up? Because I think that congruence and authenticity is actually really important for us and, and something we definitely are striving to improve on all the time. I think there's some fantastic insights there for our listening to take away and some real practical stuff there. And I, I have to absolutely agree with some of the sentiment around values and culture and, you know, to Laura's point as well, the employee being a key, key stakeholder. I remember when I first did my PR training, we talked about, uh, you know, employees and uh, customers being the two key stakeholders that can make or break a business. And that always stuck with me. And it was a very simple formula, which was, you know, happy people, happy clients, appreciate the simplicity that doesn't always you know manifest itself in life but it's great to see businesses like yours promoting the fact that actually how important i love the 360 brand thing you mentioned as well which i'm sure everyone listening is going to steal and take into their own business as well so you started getting into a bit of the nitty-gritty of relating to i suppose the retention and onboarding as well but i wanted to talk a little bit around what's worked well from a recruitment perspective so if our listeners sitting there thinking, okay, guys, like I get people are important. I get there's a challenge in terms of talent in the sector. Give me some practical stuff. Give me some solutions that I can take back into my business. So, you know, Andy, starting with yourself, what couple of things, one or two things, if our listener is looking to, whether it's build a pipeline or recruit immediately, you know, you've got the flexibility look of both. What kind of things have you seen work really, really well? Okay. So listen, there's no one magic wand is probably the first thing to say to this. So I think it's said a, like a I true consultant. I love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, yeah, I know. That's awful. And I'm cringing as I say it. And, uh, <laughs> the, um, but the things that I see that work well, and that I think you have to have, you've got to have a plan. That's really, really generic, but it's amazing how many businesses I work with today, or I've worked or spoken to who do not have a proper talent acquisition strategy and a plan. Or if they do, it's not linked to the business. It's, you know, James has really eloquently explained how they're looking at the full TA piece and linking it to the boardroom strategy. Where does the business want to go? You've got to have that in place. I think the second thing is you've got to understand that it's an ongoing process. And that ongoing process, is, you know, when you're ready to hire, you can't just stick some job adverts up and just expect the floodgates to open. It doesn't work like that anymore. It's a continuous process. You've got to understand your audience and you've got to continually communicate with them. There is a real big marketing slant to that. I think then you've got to get the resource mix right. You've got to understand where's your internal talent. You know, what's your internal talent pipeline? What does that look like? And then look at the external element of it. And then how do we tap into that? And how do we allocate the right resources to do that? Great. The final thing is just experience. And James mentioned about the experience as did Laura. 
that is what will differentiate the success of your hiring strategies and efforts to bring the right people in is the whole experience from the point of initial engagement to then transitioning to becoming an employee. And you've got to invest the time in each of those areas, I think, to succeed. And James, just on from your perspective, obviously you talked and give some great examples of what you guys are doing internally. Do you have similar thoughts to Andy in terms of what's been working well for you guys? I mean, I love the simplicity actually of Andy's thing of have a have a plan in the first place. And I'm sure many companies listening to this, like we don't really have a plan. We just stick adverts out and hope for the best. But James, what's your t- take on some things that are working for you? Any tips for our listener? Yeah, I mean, I, I really resonate with what Andy said in terms of the different categories and, and kind of levers that you need to pull when you think about it. I'd echo everything around that. The thing that I'm really keen about is what we're looking to do is build relationships and connections. And I think, you know, when we start looking at our go-to-market, where are we going to get these people from and how open are we and what is it that we actually want from a hire? I think sometimes you can get a bit stuck in the way you always look for talent and it's useful just to kind of just hold that mirror up and, and kind of think about that slightly differently. Are they really those skills? Are they trainable skills? You know, are we looking for potential versus performance? I think we've actively, say, built relationships with universities. We've found that a really good source of recruitment, particularly at junior level. And I think, you know, some of the activities we've done is actually about building the relationship with the university rather than just going and turning onto a careers fair. We actively have university reps that often go back to their old universities, almost like an alumni type of experience, that build that relationship where we do workshops with certain scientist groups. We all do uh, interview training, we'll do CV building, etc. All of that is to kind of build those relationships with those universities. And similarly, as we go through you know, the more senior levels, it's actually how do we start building trust with the agencies that will recruit on our behalf because they end up being an extension of signatures. I want to be really clear that they can articulate our proposition very clearly because the candidate has a poor experience in the agency, it's the signature brand that's, that's more likely to be remembered from that rather than the actual agency itself. And then what we've also tried to do, again, a bit like you would with customers, is start thinking almost a bit like a CRM is, will we start meeting people at conferences? How do we start um, building some of those relationships, even if it's not now? There could be things in the future. And so how do we start building that suite of almost like a bench, if you like, where we can speak with people, understand what their motivations are, where we might be going. It might not result in a a job offer right now, but it could do in the future. It kind of keeps those options open. So I think there's quite a holistic view that Andy mentioned. I think it's about how you build some of those relationships, have the plan. And I think, you know, I love the idea of that balance of internal and external. You know, what, what I've tried to do with my TA team is actually as a talent team. So yes, they do the acquisition part, but they also do the development part as well. And so that's where we start building our own internal pipelines. And again, there's more work to do. I'm not saying that we're finished, but we really do need to think about where we are having to buy it. I go out to the market and get it, or where we build it and actually support our own staff in developing their careers into the direction that we want to go to. Sometimes borrow it. Sometimes I think, you know, we need to be a bit more thoughtful about how we use consultants and so we can have that knowledge transfer. So we're starting to evolve our thinking in that space. There's still more to do, but um, that forward planning and then kind of measurement of how we're doing both on metrics like time to hire, but also the candidate experience will be the two bits where we can start looking at course correcting and, and trying something different if we're starting to lag. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. I just want to underline the point you made around universities. And this is something I've a big proponent for. And for many years, I've 
spent time, invested time, I would say, lecturing at various universities. And on the face of it, it's kind of like, well, is that not a waste of time? <laughs> you know, so I'm sure it's better use of time. But actually, in, for exactly the same reason you said there, you can plant seeds in the minds of potential talent very early on by engaging with some of these education institutions that really value industry knowledge. And so I think that's a great learning for anyone, irrespective of your location, you know, engage with local schools and universities to try and get that graduate bench, particularly scientists, and that's a way to do it. Laura, anything from your perspective? Obviously, Andy and uh, James have provided some great tips, but anything that you've seen work really well in the work that you've done with clients in the in the last few years? Yeah, there's been some really thought-provoking sentiment shared there, and, and I absolutely agree that sort of helping develop future STEM talent and almost becoming known as an ambassador for life sciences and, and the future of that sector is really helpful, whether it's biotech hubs, incubators, universities, schools, as you say, Roman. But I guess one thing uh, we see as well is you don't want to just be seen as another life science company. So how can you really ensure that differentiation and memorability exists for your brand? That's both as a brand, as an, as an organization, and as an employer as well. So I think if, if we come back to the fundamentals again, it's still about trying to get that really authentic brand personality in place in almost a humanized form so that people really see your DNA. And that sort of reflects as a black brand as a whole, but also, as we say, as an employer branding perspective, both internally and externally, how do we bring the DNA of your life, of your brand to life so that people can really stand behind it and understand what it means? Because ultimately what you're trying to do is develop a credible brand reputation so that people want to seek you out. You want to be seen as that employer of choice. So yeah, that's one of the things that I would say. And Ultimately, we need the brand to be inspiring enough that it's a journey that people want to go on with you. Couldn't agree more. And, and the only point that I wanted to add actually to that particular conversation was one technique that I've always felt worked really well is re-engineer. And what I mean by that is look at the best employees in your organization, look at the stars that are in your organization, and then work back from how they joined the organization, how they were recruited, how they were onboarded, and how they've grown. And you can see a pathway we often do this with your best clients as well. And it's no different, actually. And you might, especially with a business the size of yours, James, you might be able to see interesting trends of actually when we recruit through this particular network, this particular university, this particular recruitment consultant, we have a great uh, chance of success. So I just wanted to add that because I think that's worked well for me over the years. And you've all kind of hinted at Things going wrong, mismatches. Andy mentioned, you know, forty percent of employees leave within in the first couple of years. So, my next question is a bit of an odd one, but I suspect what are the pitfalls where you're seeing where things go wrong? So, for example, Laura, you mentioned say the brand DNA piece and that kind of authenticity, but I I suspect there could be a mismatch between what's put out from a marketing materials perspective, and then you apply for a job, and you never hear back for three weeks. And there's an immediate process mismatch between what the brand is saying and what the actual experience is like. So I'll start with you, Laura. You know What what things have you seen companies do incorrectly or not align, which is leaving, leading to, I suppose, a, a poor uh, kind of employee experience? And let's, let's focus less on existing employees and more uh, that kind of candidate experience. Yeah, it's a great question. And I've seen firsthand an example similar to what you've just said, Roman, where it's a very people-centric business. 
um, and somebody would put their job application in online and not receive a response at all. And, and that just instantly tells them that they're not important to the companies, that they're not sort of of real interest for the future of the business. So the mixed messaging there didn't align with what the employer experience should be offering the future talent. So it's those sort of things, really. I do think that there is so much that we can be doing just to really show them individuals that they are sort of going to be an important part of the business moving forwards. And obviously, I know you mentioned sort of thinking about future talent, but even when it comes to sort of the turbulence, the problems that we're seeing right now, there is so much that's almost coming as an offshoot of the COVID cliff, which is meaning that we're seeing workforces become leaner. We're seeing leadership changes. We're seeing this request for flexibility in hybrid workplaces. And it just almost means that we're trying to put resilience back into the workforce to keep the ship sailing as smoothly as possible. It's as though we've seen a little bit of a shift where future talent is arguably slightly more in the driving seat. And we're having to try and pivot a little bit to make things slightly more attractive to them as well. Focus on sustainability, for example, more focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and making sure those things that are really important to the future talent of the sector are also being executed in a really honest, intentional, and well-considered manner. I think that's a terrific set of points there, and I suppose underlines the holistic thinking when it comes to recruitment and offering people more than just a job and something that you know offers them to be become part of something that's a bit bigger. And Andy, from your perspective, I imagine this must be the bane of your life when you are engaging with a client and you have been given the job to bring in a, a new business development team and the client's engagement is not at the level you would expect. Talk us through some of the, again, don't give real life examples, but talk us through some of the instances where, say, a business like James's engages with a partner, like a talent partner like yourself, where it where things go wrong. Because I think, you know, from a business perspective, often we see talent partners as transactional, just as you mentioned before. But actually, I think if they work in harmony, it can be a very powerful extension to your team. But love to hear some of the <laughs> the kind of stories and anecdotes of when things go terribly wrong. You know, listen, I think the most common one is, and I think, I, 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 listen, I sat the side of the table that, that James sits on. You know, I I was a human resources generalist for the first decade of my career. So I know that this is kind of a consistent theme when you get your hiring managers and your, your business people who are trying out for talent and what have you. And then you ask them to attend meetings with vendors who are going to help you find that talent and they're disengaged or they're their mobile phone goes and so I've got to take this call and they walk out the room because something more important's come up and I'm sitting there saying, well, you're telling me yesterday that this is the most important thing you've got to deal with. So you need to be in the room. So I think that's a really common one where you get a really engaged talent team or a super engaged human resources function who are really helpful, but we need the people who are ultimately making hiring decisions, the people who these candidates are going to be working for. They've got to be in the room and they've got to be as engaged. And actually, I often describe sort of good hiring processes as like building a house. So you have to invest time at the front end of any process to put really good foundations down. As James alluded to, you know, talent partners should be extensions of the businesses that they're representing. 
There should be time afforded at the start to really get to know the culture, the values, who are the hiring personalities, what are the kind of characteristics that we're looking for in people, not just the technical qualification, but are they the right cultural fit? And that time can be a little bit frustrating sometimes to get that commitment. And that's one of the most common things I see. James and yourself both said something that's pretty similar and around we tend to hire in our own design. And it's the most common kind of unconscious bias that we have in hiring. And as James said, you know, some of the sort of more experienced science sort of technical leaders that they have in the business might naturally default to thinking about what they did when they were that age, you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago. And the landscape has changed. And as Laura says, you know, there are new things now that people are interested in. You know, they want to know about the diversity agenda. They want to know what the corporate social responsibility is, and not just see a bit of paper with something written on they want to see how it's lived and breathed as part of the business's operating sort of culture they're the kind of things that will go wrong or, or when it's kind of the necessary attention and commitment to the process at the front end at the start of that kind of hiring journey is just not afforded or prioritized in the same way and james from your perspective just building on one andy said there you know i've been at, i suppose on on your side of the fence at times where you have invested heavily in a candidate through the interview process, you've articulated why it's the greatest place on earth to work and you find out that they've taken a job elsewhere and it's soul destroying because how on earth could you ever work somewhere else? From your perspective where you're either recruiting organically through some of the methods that Laura talked about or you're using a talent partner like Andy what are the, some of the things, I suppose, where you get things wrong? And what I mean by that is for whatever reason, the employee doesn't join you. Is there any learnings that you've had from that process, which is, ah, guy, if, if we had just done X, Y, and Z, if we had just done this, or is it just a case that, you know, these things happen and sometimes people opt for other places to work? I would love to be pragmatic and say it's the latter. We could probably use the rest of the time on this podcast around what we could do better. I would say that I think we've, we've nailed a lot of the stuff that we've said already. I think some of it's about being really clear about what we're looking to offer. I think with everything, if things will happen that mean that you won't always get the candidate that you want, and as you say, it's you can hit the floor when you've gone through a, quite a lot of investment of time and effort to get that someone there. I suppose w- without trying to sound too optimistic, if they walk away deciding not to come to us but still have a very positive view of us, I'll take that because that's the, that's the that's the decision that they've made today. But do you know what? It might be in the next job they come over to us, or actually, their word of mouth say, "I've met Signature. I thought they were great. Consider it." Will have other benefits, I think, a bit further down the line. So I do try and take the positive out of it, and I think also, you know, again, one of the things that we're trying to do in our organisation is do a lot more lessons learned, reflections of what we're doing, so that we can do that. So you know echo everything that's been said before sometimes you know we can be a bit slicker in the process and i've been in not just this job but other jobs where we've taken too long the kind of human approach has been lacking you know an email saying we reject on this basis is not always the way that i think you should let someone down given they've also put a lot of time and effort into it as well it was interesting andy's point about the 40 percent one of the metrics that i've put in place here is what i've called rookie retention but it is how many people are we losing with one year or 15 months service because from my perspective, if someone's leaving after that quickly, there's something wrong. And nine times out of 10, it's actually the sell or actually it's the onboarding bit. And they're both within the sphere of control. So we, we've we've taken some feedback 
back from looking at that stat to try and lower that stat on what we can do better, both in terms of the selection process, well, the attraction process, selection process, and, and particularly on the onboarding. So the job isn't done once they've signed the contract and turn up at day one. It's now once you've got the member of staff, it's how do you welcome them to signature and actually make sure that they're set up for success from, from day one onwards. So again, we've, we have regular forums with new starters. The CEO has a new starter breakfast and gets feedback firsthand. We get feedback probably after six months, um, after two months and six months, again, just to understand how it's going. But you've also got that fresh eyes approach of someone who's still relatively new to the company can give you honest, subjective feedback. Uh, and so we take all of these data points to continue improve what we're doing, but it's really dynamic. You know, I mean, we're not going to be any other company that's going to be in the market looking for a slick, effective process. And I think there's ways that we can keep evolving our process to get what we want to as well. You made some really super points there, and I wanted to double click on the word of mouth one in particular, which I thought is a, it's a, such a powerful thing that the, a lot of the things that you guys have talked about, that kind of candidate experience and the employee experience that ultimately when these people leave the business and on the whole 99.9% of people will leave the business or not join the business you want them saying positive things in the industry about your organization especially when it's an industry as small as ours there are companies out there that have and Andy probably knows this better than anyone pretty choppy reputations when it comes to being an employer and that is a really it's the same from a I suppose a brand marketing perspective it's a really difficult thing to overcome from a reputational perspective so that leads us, I suppose, to the last 10 minutes or so of today's conversation, which I am thoroughly enjoying, I have to say. And you guys have all been itching and trying to drag this conversation towards retention. And I can sense it in all of you. And this is where we're going to go next for the ne last 10 minutes or so. But before we go into it, I suppose I'll start from a, a wider observation that I've had that if I rewind back to the maybe two years ago, it felt to me like a real employee market, like, you know, the candidate was in control. And I think as a consequence of some of the macro factors we've seen, you know, whether it be inflation, uh, you know, the war, just rising costs across the board. And then, you know, Laurie, to your point, you know, the, the kind of COVID cliff and the challenges the sector is having from a, a funding perspective, it feels to me more than ever before in the last, say, five to 10 years, we are shifting towards a bit more of an employer market where actually the balance of power is shifting back. So I suppose I'd love your take and perspectives on whether you think I'm right and that's the case or love your kind of counter arguments, but also how that leads into a retention perspective as well, both from a, you know, how do you then think about retention uh, from, you know, your existing employees and does that limit the amount of people that you go to market looking for? So I'll start with Andy in terms of whether you see a similar thing in the market? I don't think it's as an acute and employee-driven market as it was, say, 18 months, two years ago. And I do think that has got something to do with the macroeconomic factors. You know, you mentioned at the start of the conversation things I'd taken out of the trip to Bio last week in Boston. I think one of the, one of the most common talent themes I got was in previous years, it had been really about getting as many people on the bus as possible. It now seems to be much more of a focus on have we got the right people on the bus and have we got the right people in the right seats on the bus? And I think some of the macroeconomic challenges are prompting organizations to perhaps look at their talent mix and make decisions about whether they have the right people and perhaps move people 
either into different roles or indeed off the bus, if that's what's needed, and replace them with other people who are perhaps better fit for the climate that they're operating in today versus what the climate looked like 18 months ago. I do still think employees have choice. So I do think that should be a, a sort of a, a sense of caution should be adopted there for employers. I think employers do still need to be really focused on what they're doing to ensure that their employees are engaged and motivated and happy and successful in their organizations because they do still have choice. We do still have more opportunities in the market versus people. But there is there has definitely been, a, I think, a, a narrowing of the drivers in the market to be slightly more balanced. And you know that I'm not a big fan of buses, Andy, which again, I feel like you've put that in there just to wind me up. But nice, nicely done. Laura, employee engagement, employee retention, big part of the projects that you work on. So talk to us about, I suppose, the any shifts that you're seeing going on or indeed a greater emphasis on companies trying to retain talent and how you go about helping them do that. Yeah, absolutely. High churn isn't good for morale and it isn't good for finances either. And in my opinion, engagement and retention wins almost every time. So you're absolutely right, Roman. And I do go back to what we were just saying then as well is I, I do believe employees ha- still have choice. The tables are turning a little bit. I still believe they have choice. But what we're typically seeing when it comes to internal employer branding as well is many employees or future talent may think that money is quite high on the list of what they want, what is important to them. And it absolutely is, but there are other critical things that we need to pull in behind that as well. As I mentioned earlier, whether it's DEI, flexibility, culture, that fundamental purpose that we talked about as well. So with that in mind, it's it's kind of thinking about those things that we can do that really help with the internal employer branding. When we've got such a remote workforce now, how do we build that same sense of community with them that we would have from more of an office-based environment? Try and be creative, thinking outside the box. What touch points do you have with those employees? Also thinking about how we can bring the company values to life and ensure that behaviors reflect the values as well. At the end of the day, most folks in this industry want to be able to do their job to the best of their ability. So how can we take away the bureaucracy and red tape as much as possible so that they can actually do that? I think it's almost as simple as showing that you really care and you want to give them the best opportunity to to thrive, not only caring about their journey in the business, but outside of it too. So from my perspective, genuinely caring about your employees as individuals is one of the most powerful ways to build a community of people who feel like they matter and want to be part of that community as well. Thanks, Laura. I love the last part there and in, in the kind of the thoughts you had around bringing values to life and touch points with hybrid workers or remote workers. I think that's a, it's a big challenge for lots of companies. James, love your take on, I suppose, the two areas that the guys have, have talked about there, you know, both the general feel of the market and whether you're seeing a shift and how you guys think about retention, uh, you know, at Signature. Yeah, I suppose I agree with Andy. I think there's a danger we can almost be a bit too generic or stereotyping in the way that we kind of assess the market. I, I, it feels like maybe there's a tiny bit of wind coming out of the sails, but I I think employees still have choice. And I think when you start drilling down into specific skill sets, disciplines, areas, you know, where that supply demand is still remains very acute, you know, I think it's still actually a very, very tough market uh, that, you know, the employee 
has quite a lot of kind of favoring um and so we, we definitely find that i've got to be honest i think uh, the retention bit is incredibly key for us because although we're growing we have finite resources and so you know if i talk about growing the business 20 percent and our our attrition is 20 percent, i'm actually recruiting 40 percent of our business that ends up being quite a rel- relentless task for our ta team and our managers and, and as andy mentioned previously right um time often is quite poor as a resource for most people in our sector so there are ways that i think we have to stem that flow and and we we've definitely seen you know an uptick in in nutrition post covid i think covid actually was quite quite fundamental in allowing people just to reassess what's important to them and so i think that you know almost covid adjustment if you like did have a knock-on effect in terms of really what people wanted from work what they wanted from their employers and um, what they wanted from life actually and i think we, we've seen that spike and i think that's starting to calm a bit but i think there's still that kind of residual elements to it i mean what i'd add is i think there is a wider sense of really what people want from their employers is almost a bit of a shift in terms of psychological contract and i think not just with covid i think some of the macro and other economic environmental things like cost of living you know some of the almost colds that are coming across some of the uh, geographies like the u.s market even some of Europe kind of slowing down a bit is actually making people nervous. So maybe some of those hygiene factors of pay and job security are starting to be a bit higher up on the agenda. And frankly, it's, it's a balancing act in in particularly the world that we're in right now because we're not going to be able to pass cost on to clients who are also being much more choosy. It's harder to, to get new clients through the door. So the idea of us being able to support people is, is incredibly important, but we don't always have the ability to match inflation in terms of pay increases. There's definitely a balancing act we've had to find. And our, our approach is to take a very total compensation view rather than just pure pay and have a look at how we can support with other benefits, how we can support with the other elements of the value proposition, if you like, rather than being a purely a pay issue. I think we're also facing into, you know, quite a lot of generations now coming into the workplace and how that's altering how we manage, how we organize, how we motivate people. One of the big things that we've really tried to look at is rather than being ivory towered in, in the people functions, actually how do we start co-creating some of this stuff? So we launched last month our new commitment to inclusion that will include creating an inclusion committee by employees so that they develop the strategy for us and work with us on it rather than it's a company top-down thing. So I, I do think we're going to see much more of this kind of co-creation and involving employees in a different way. You know, that that feels quite authentic to us and, and definitely part of our DNA for sure. Um, and I think there's also a bit about, you know, reassessing what our identity is. There'll be lots of people that joined us when we were 200. Now we're at 700. It's a different beast. And as we keep growing, you know, having to accept the fact that you know, we are going to lose people because actually we're developing into a company that they might not want to be part of. We're, we're always in choice. And I think that's why this becomes quite an interesting dynamic because it, because it is so fluid and we are going to go through ups and downs both externally and internally. And that comes back to, you know, the, the reason for really wanting good employee voice to actually really get more of a pulse on how people are feeling rather than the you know, traditional 12, 12 months big survey and action plan, you know, get more regular touch points with people invite different methods so you do get a true sense of how it is to be a signature employee and how do we change what we need to to make sure that retention is there in the spirit that we want to to maintain uh, as a company i think what what's particularly interesting from my perspective and i suspect from the listeners 
James, hearing you speak is just the sheer amount of emphasis that goes on this aspect of your business. It's uh, it's quite phenomenal. And I suspect reflective of businesses across the sector that really care about the talent they're bringing in and how they retain the talent. So it's great to, I suppose, get that deep insight from a customer perspective. Just to finish off, it's been a wonderful conversation today and I'm going to come to Laura. Laura, finish us on a on a high note, hopefully. Uh, you know, it's been a fantastic conversation today with with Andy and James and yourself, but give us something to, to take away or something our, our listener can maybe take into their, their role and whatever they're doing as leaders in their business. Yeah, absolutely. I think James's final point then about um, the business changing is, is so critical because many of our clients are in a period of transformation. They may have made acquisition, gained new investors, or had some senior leadership changes. So it's a critical time to, to take stock and put a strategy in place that ensures that internal alignment is there and is changing as the brand goes on its journey. So when it comes to things like acquisitions, just try and be mindful of the impact of culture. Legacy and loyalty are very important, and it can be hard to step away from a brand you've invested your time and hard work into. So just taking that time to take stock, to understand the motivations and the challenges of employees, and just try to take them on that journey with them, uh, with you, give them that sense of purpose. They have a reason to continue to show up and to continue to care about the brand that they're invested in. So where possible, openness, honesty makes a world of difference to employee engagement, especially during these periods of change. Thank you, Laura. Sounds like a, an amazing business you work for, by the way. Um, I just wanted to highlight that point. Uh, Laura Childs, Head of Research at Remarketing. Thank you very much. Andy Mears, CEO and co-founder at Lead Candidate. Thank you, Andy. And James Edgar, who is Chief People Officer at Signature Discovery. Guys, that was absolutely brilliant. Thank you for making the time and sharing your insights on Molecule to Market. And that was our talent roundtable. Hopefully perfectly timed for whatever challenges your business is going through when it comes to kind of the people function uh, and you know attracting talent and retaining talent you know some of the things i took from today's conversation uh, just to share with you i think getting a better understanding of why we're facing this talent challenge and where it originates from i, I thought was really really helpful and andy towards the start obviously give some great statistics that kind of talk about the challenge with retention and how that then feeds in to the attraction challenge as well some great practical solutions from all our guests particularly uh, james i thought was incredibly insightful in terms of some of the things that have worked in his organization signature and some of his previous roles laura i think brought up some great points around the employee being seen as a key stakeholder. And that's always been something that I, I thought in my own businesses, very much aligned to clients in that sense. And we got into obviously that conversation around the importance of value and culture and the purpose, if you like, for the employee and why on earth should they join your organization? What is in it for them? You know, give them a reason to care like clients. So I thought that was a, a really useful insight. And James talked about that kind of 360 brand piece and the fact that employees have choice now and the importance of building an employer brand and that kind of hybrid piece around where if you like marketing and recruitment are converging in this particular area uh, came kind of through 
very loud and clear, in my opinion, both from Laura and Andy, but also James kind of brought it to life from a practical perspective in his organization as well. Certainly from my experience, I think patience is part of the need in recruitment that you aren't always going to get the best talent in a given moment. So building a type pipeline kind of well in advance is so, so important. And we got into a great discussion around, you know, engaging with universities and colleges and raising your profile as a business within those organizations. So that talent comes to you at a very early stage and you can mold people into your culture and kind of get them on the track early on in their career. Uh, and one of the points that I brought up is that kind of concept of re-engineering, if you like, your best employees and your star employees and looking for more talent like that out there in the market. And towards the back end of the presentation, or sorry, the interview, um, I really enjoyed the conversation around when things go wrong and how to deal with that and just, you know, the, the ultimately the challenge that we all have in the sector in terms of employee attraction and engagement. It's not an easy thing to solve. And in a global market, like we're all playing in, it's a really difficult challenge. But nevertheless, hopefully some insights and tips that you can take into your businesses and share with your team. Thanks to my team for helping put this podcast together. Roundtables in particular require a huge amount of organization. A special thanks to my PA, Susan, who has been very patient in getting schedules uh, arranged for the guests. And thanks to the rest of my team as well for producing today's podcast. If you like today's show or the podcast in general, please subscribe, like, and share. And if you're out and about at any of the events in the fall, let me know. I will probably be at most of them. Thanks again for listening to Molecule to Market. Hi again. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more shows, have a look on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon, wherever you like to listen. And do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically. And please get in touch via our website, uh, Molecule to Market Pod or via LinkedIn or Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that you think would make a great guest on Molecules Market, then please let us know. We'll see you very soon. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.